Hello lovely people and welcome to episode 18 of Nace Pod. Uh, I hope you've had a great week this week. We've had a great week here. It's been excellent sorting bits and pieces out, getting some stuff organised for some work we're going to have done. Uh, so that's been really good. Um, but anyway, let's get straight on to what I'm going to talk about. Uh, so this week, uh, we're going to follow on from something that I mentioned in last week's pod, uh, the Hurricanes and Humility pod. Uh, for this, we're going to look at three stories at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, and to start, we're going to go right to the beginning. Uh, so you've probably heard the creation story in the Bible or heard something about it. Uh, in Genesis 1, God creates the universe in six days. And then in Genesis 2, God rests on the seventh day. And during that, chapter 2 of Genesis, we find out that there's a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says to Adam that he can eat of any fruit from any of the trees in the garden, except the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Uh, and then there's another account of God creating man and woman. And then we get to chapter 3. Okay. And this is the part where it all goes a little bit pear-shaped or apple-shaped or pineapple-shaped, however, which, or, you know, whatever fruit comes to mind when you think about um, what Adam and Eve did, uh, it goes that shape. Uh, so the serpent comes in chapter 3 and asks Eve if God uh, has really said not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, And he persuades her that it's going to be fine, because if she eats of this fruit, then she's going to be like God, and that God somehow... Uh, making them miss out on something by stopping them from eating this fruit. Uh, so she takes the fruit and she eats it and passes some to Adam, who's standing right beside her. Suddenly it says that they, their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked uh, and they covered themselves up. Okay. And when they hear God in the garden, who would come and meet them, it says in the cool of the evening, when they hear him coming into the garden, they hide. Uh, and then God looks for them and eventually they, Adam and Eve, reveal themselves to God and Adam says to him what's happened, uh, says, tells God what's happened and then God curses the serpent. And then at the end of chapter 3, he says that Adam and Eve can't be in the garden anymore okay, because of the choice they've made. He's, and so he sends them east out of the garden and puts a cherubim at the east of the garden to stop them coming back in. Okay, so that's a quick praise of the first three chapters of the of Genesis. So that's story number one. The next story is in the next chapter of Genesis, in chapter four. And this is the story about Cain and Abel, who are Adam and Eve's sons. Uh, when their sons had grown up, Abel became a shepherd, whereas it says that Cain cultivated the ground okay uh, so when it was time for the harvest uh, Cain brought some crops for a sacrifice to God because he was the one who works the, the ground tilled the earth sowed the seed did all that kind of stuff so he brings God some crops for a sacrifice and it says that Abel also brought a sacrifice and it says that he brought the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock and God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. 
right? Now, this causes some trouble because Cain is, gets very angry about this and kind of doesn't understand it. And so one day, a few days later, perhaps, I don't know, but one day he invites Abel to go out into the fields with him. And the story goes that Cain attacks his brother and kills him. Then God comes to Cain and asks him where his brother is, and Cain says he doesn't know. Uh, but God obviously knows because he, you know, he's God, and he must be all-knowing, I assume. Uh, and he says that the ground, the ground will no longer give Cain good crops and that he will be a homeless wanderer because he can hear Abel's blood crying from the ground. He can hear that, you know, he knows that Cain's killed his brother. And so he says there's going to be, it's no, going to be no, no crops and you're going to be a homeless wanderer. Uh, and Cain says to God, well, don't do this because I'm going to be killed if I go out there with no one else, just me on my own in this kind of, you know, uh, uh, wilderness. And God says, well, okay, I'm going to protect Cain even while you're wandering and you're walking away from me and, and uh, doing what, you know, go, doing bad stuff. Uh, then at the end of the chapter in verse 16, it says, So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So that's the two, that's two of the stories, but there's one more, okay? And this is found in Genesis chapter 11. Now, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, we've had Noah and the flood story. Okay, so that's happened between chapter 4 and chapter 11, and uh, all of that stuff, 40 days and nights of rain. And chapter 11 starts by letting us know that at this time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words, okay? Uh, so everybody can communicate very easily, uh, and that must be pretty amazing that everyone in the whole earth could do that uh, and that as the people migrated east they found a new place in the land of babylonia and they settled there so they were traveling east and they settled in this land and then they had a discussion around the campfire and the council and decided that they would make bricks and build a tower up to the heavens and make a name for themselves Okay, they wanted to be famous. They wanted to be like, we're going to be, we're going to be the big dogs on earth. We're going to build this amazing tower. But God decides that this isn't a good thing because if they build this tower, then nothing, it says he, nothing will be impossible for them. So he gives them different languages to confuse them and to stop the tower being built. So there are three stories from Genesis, which all share one thing in common. And that is the direction that the people were moving in the stories. That's the direction the people were going when we hear about them in these three stories. So in all three of these stories, the people in them were moving east. Adam and Eve moved east out of the Garden of Eden. God put a cherubim at the east, on the eastern side of the garden to stop them coming back in. After Cain killed his brother he left that land and went east to the land of nod and the people of of the world whoever that was were moving east and settled in the east when they decided to build the tower of babel okay because you see moving east in the bible is often a sign of moving away from god and out of his presence and it actually happens quite a lot particularly in genesis but also throughout the whole Bible, okay? So, so 
like when Adam uh, and Lot split up and go their separate ways, it says Lot went east and decided to live in Sodom. Okay. And later on, we know the thing that Sodom and Gomorrah is known, known for is being destroyed because it was such a sinful place. Uh, in Genesis 41, it's an east wind that destroys the heads of corn in Pharaoh's dream about the coming famine in Egypt in the story of Joseph and the story of Exodus. It's the east wind that brings the locusts to Egypt during the ten plagues. And last week, the thing that, that sparked all this off for me uh, was the fact that we saw uh, Jonah should have been going east to the town of Nineveh, to the evil place that had been oppressing uh, Israel, uh, to give them the news of God's judgment. Okay, so they're always going east, right? And, and I'm sure there are lots of other examples, uh, but these are just a few that I've noticed. And, and believe me, once you notice this, you you keep noticing it kind of just almost pings up in it's always in the back of your head it just kind of pings up but uh so it's interesting right so it's a it's a good thing to know uh that it kind of this often symbolizes uh going east often symbolizes moving out of god's presence but at the moment it's just some interesting information it doesn't really kind of tell us much in that sense we, it doesn't mean that we should stop going east uh certainly <laughs> that would be how tricky would that be just to completely stop going east you have to go to go around the world you'd have to go all the way around to get to a place that was just opposite you anyway um and and, and maybe knowing this would give us a bit more depth to the things that we read um but it doesn't really tell a huge amount about god or ourselves uh but as i've been reading with this eastern uh, this moving east thing in mind um, I've noticed something that might help us turn this from something interesting into a revelation about God. And we need to talk about the tabernacle. Uh, so from chapter, about chapter 19 to chapter 31 in the book of Exodus, God gives to Moses um, instructions about all sorts of things. They call it the law. Um, the famous Ten Commandments is in there. Uh, he talks about how to settle arguments, how to live with one another uh, with in freedom. Okay, so remember in in the Exodus, they've been living in another land for four hundred years uh, under another nation's authority and have become slaves, and now they were going to be governing themselves. So it's about all about how to live with one another in freedom and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in the middle of these chapters, God also gives Moses instructions about how to build the tabernacle. And a tabernacle is like a, a movable worship space that had the Ark of the Covenant in and all sorts of other things. And so God tells him how to build the tabernacle and what to put inside it and how to create that. And now the instructions for the tabernacle begin in chapter 25 with the plans for the Ark of the Covenant and the table for the bread and the golden lampstand, which are in the tabernacle. And in chapter 26, God gives the instructions for, for the building of the tabernacle itself, for the actual structure, the tent-type structure. Uh, it talks about the curtains being made of purple and blue and scarlet yarn with cherubim sewn into them. They should make a weatherproof covering to go over it out of goat skin and all this kind of stuff. 
Um, and then God talks about these frames, which are the kind of the, I imagine, the poles that would hold it up like a big, a big you would have in a, in a big tent. Uh, and he says they're going to be made of acacia wood and they're going to be five meters high. Um, and there'll be two tens to join the frames together and all of this kind of thing. Now we can read all these instructions and think, why am I reading this, right? I'm never going to build a tabernacle, I don't think. Never say never. But at the moment, my the plan of my life is not to build a tabernacle made of goat skin. And that's going to be huge. Um, I think we all think that sometimes when we read these things in the Bible, like, why why am I reading this? <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I really hope I'm not going to be called to build an ark. But anyway, uh, and so sometimes it seems like a waste of time. But when this, this going east thing was pointed out to me and kind of keep kept coming to my mind recently, uh, I realized that the, the orientation, the way the tabernacle was, uh, God told them to build the tabernacle and how to put it up, uh, was became quite significant. So in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 26, it says that they should make 20 frames for the south side and 40 bases of silver to put the frames in. Then in 20 and 21, God says to do the same for the north side. That's verses 20 and 21. And then comes a significant verse in the middle of this tabernacle building thing, instruction, Verse 22 says, And for the rear of the tabernacle, which is westward, you shall make six frames. Now this means that the entrance to the tabernacle is always to be facing the east. Now, it obviously is easy to read all these things and read past them. But now that we know that, that going east often represents moving out of God's presence, we can see that what was seen as God's home on earth, this tabernacle where God is going to dwell, and the temple as well, where God is going to dwell, is facing, is oriented in the direction of all the ones who have rejected him and his presence. All of these people who have gone east, God has said, I'm going to face them. The entrance, I'm not going to make it hard for them to come to me. I'm not going to make it tricky for them. They don't have to go right round. They just, I'm going to put my face towards them to make it as easy as I, I, I can for anyone who's rejected me to come back. Right, the word repent literally means to change your mind, to change direction, to return, to come back. Okay, now God's not going to force you to do anything. God's not going to force you to come back to him. But if you want to change direction, if you want to repent, it's like this this tabernacle, this place where God is, it's like this is the entrance. It's like he has his arms wide open and he's ready to welcome you back in. Right? He has, he has turned his face towards you and he says, come back, I am waiting for you. He is just waiting for that moment, for that thought and that turn for us to begin to come back to him and he welcomes us with open arms and it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son that jesus tells okay so he he tells this jesus tells this parable in luke 15 uh, and in it there's a father who has two sons and the younger son says that he wants his inheritance now okay so his father gives it to him and the youngest son leaves and while the son is away he spends all his money living the high life 
uh, only thinking of himself and what he can get and just partying and doing whatever he wants. But after a while, he spent all his money and he's completely broke, okay? And it talks about him feeding pigs just to get by uh, and even looks at what the pigs are eating and thinks, wow, that looks good compared to what anything I have. He literally has nothing. And while he's sitting in the pig pen thinking about eating pig food, uh, he decides that he could go back and work as a slave for his father. So he, he turns back and starts on his way home. And then in, in verse 20 of Luke 15, it says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His father had been waiting and watching for him. It probably, quite possibly, it doesn't say this, but I think every day since his son had gone, he had been there watching and waiting and just looking for any sign that he might be coming back. And when he saw him coming back, or should we say when he, we could say when he, we, he saw him repenting, changing his direction and coming back, there is the father rushing out to meet him, embracing him, kissing him, restoring him to, to what he was and what he had forgotten he was. And, you know, imagine God at the end, like that's his home. The tabernacle is his home. Imagine God at the entrance to the tabernacle, looking and waiting for all those descendants of Adam and Eve, of, you know, Cain and anyone else who was moving out of God's presence, anyone else who was going east. He's always just looking for the slightest change in heart and mind, the slightest change in direction, so that he can have a relationship with these people again, that they might just talk and be with him again rushing out to meet them you know and, and to walk with us on our journey home you know he doesn't just wait for us to come as soon as he sees it the father and the prodigal son rushes out to grab him he wants to open our eyes to to all the things that we have and that he's made for us and he wants us to realize the gift that he's given us he wants all all of us to know that he is for us and always has his eyes on us, not to try and catch us out, but to help us and partner with us and to see what we're going to make of the gift that we've been given. And so God is always looking towards you. His eyes are always on you. And if you want to return, all you have to do is change direction. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Nate's Pod. Um, have a wonderful week. Don't get too cold or blown away. And as always, remember this. I love you and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.